Praise the Lord, everyone. What a great day. Isn't this a great day? I, I love it. We, I know we have uh, some people out with COVID. We need to remember them in prayer. Uh, they're all recovering, so praise God for that. Uh, it just takes a little longer than, uh, than what we would like. Because, you know, our, our, our uh, time frame that we would like to have in recovery is like three minutes. Doesn't work that way. So, hey, I want to talk to you about we are the church. And I, I want to focus in on what type of people comprise the church. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and, 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 and make an excuse like why they don't go? Why they don't join? And, and, and I've, I've heard a lot of them. Here's one of them that I've heard. It's like, man, if I go, the roof's going to fall in. It's like, well, no, I, I think that there's uh, building codes that will keep it from doing that. Although I did pastor a church in, in a small town in California once, and, and, and it had the, the stucco ceiling. It's a big dome stucco ceiling. And if you preach too loud or you sang too loud, part of the stucco would fall off. So kind of had that one. Or, or here's another one that I really love. All right, you ready for this one? I have to wait until I get ready, get right before I go. And it's like, good luck with that. Because I know a whole group of people that come every week and we're still trying to get right. Uh, so it, so it's, not, it's not, you don't come to church, or you don't get right to come to church, you come to church to get right. So it, it's important. Oh, here's another one. You ready for this one? They only want my money. No, contrary to popular belief, we don't want your money. Here's what we do want you to do. We want you to understand and recognize that everything that you have belongs to God because God gave it to you, and we want you to be good stewards of what God gave you so when you stand before him, he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't want, don't want anything else. And here's, here's the one that I really like. Are you ready for this? I love the one where they say, well, I would go, but there's just so many hypocrites. And my thought is, well, one more won't hurt. <laughs> but the truth is, Christians can kind of look like hypocrites from time to time. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought that? But there's a difference. There is a difference. And, and what kind of person comprises the body of believers? Let me say it another way. Is there a difference in a liar and then a Christian that is lying? I'm going to submit to you that there is. In, in the church in Corinth, and I, and I love that the book of 1 Corinthians it's really 2 Corinthians because the first one we don't know. The church wrote a letter to, to Paul, and Paul's responding to that letter in 1 Corinthians. And then, then, they, then they wrote another letter, which is what we consider 3 Corinthians. We don't have that one. So we just have Paul's two responses. We don't have the two letters that, that the church wrote to Paul. Evidently, they weren't significant. But Paul's responses were. And don't you love, don't you love the New Testament? Because it's about people in church doing stupid things. 
And we all, all of us can look at that and say, boy, I'm a part of that group. Yeah, but here they are, Paul, Paul established the church in Corinth and, and he, on his second missionary journey, if you look in, in Acts 18, you'll find the story of it. He'd already been to Athens, he'd, he'd already uh, gone through a difficult time in, in Thessalonica and in Berea, and he finds himself in the southern part of Greece and he finds himself in this wild town called Corinth. Now, maybe it's because I've spent most of my adult life in larger cities. I can, I can identify with Corinth. Corinth is a very spiritual church. I didn't say Christian. They're very spiritual. They're connected with, with being, but they're also very carnal. And, and, it, and it's, they don't really have all of the all of the Christianese, the language that Christians use, they don't know how to speak it. They're just still speaking language that, that they know. And it's in just an amazing passage. And, and what had happened to, in the church in Corinth at this time is they had allowed some, some sins that were being, that were being uh, perpetrated by members of the church, and, and namely, one of them was so egregious that one guy was living with his father's uh, wife, his stepmom, and they were endorsing it in the church. Isn't that amazing? That, that brings up a couple of points. One, his dad had more than one wife, and we had people in the church that had more than one wife at one time. I feel sorry for them. So here they are, here they are, and they're in this church, and, and they're struggling with these issues, and Paul is addressing them, and, and, and they're not identifying with, with that, that we don't need to have this in the church, because there are certain uh, requirements that we want to adhere to. We, there are certain things we want to achieve, and if you'll, if you'll go to that first slide here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and this is this is so so don't don't get confused when we first start reading this because you're going to think oh man Paul's addressing this issue and he says this or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God isn't that a great question he said do not be deceived I hate being deceived don't you don't you hate being tricked you know, you ever go through one of those presentations where they where they want you to get um, like a like, like a, a vacation place and you have to be in it for the rest of your life, and they say if you go, they'll give you a hundred dollars just for the presentation because they know most people are weak and they're going to give in. I got my hundred dollars. I just said no. So. Anyway, the inheritance, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Let's go on. A little bit more, a little bit farther. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's a pretty exhaustive list, isn't it? Could we add anything else to it? 
I bet you we could. I bet you he could have. Here's what I think Paul was doing. He knew the church and he knew them well. And he was probably thinking about different people within the church when he was writing this. And swindlers like this guy. And like this. And like this. And like this person. And like this person. He says, don't be deceived. These people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But look what he says next. And this is what some of you were. Think about that for a moment. This is what you were. He said, nobody that is, a, that is identified as these things will inherit the kingdom of God. But you used to be that, but you're no longer that. You used to, to deal in that type of life, but now you don't deal in that type of life. And he does not say, now I want you to, to really look at it. He does not say that, that they are perfect. He does not say that, that they are not wrestling with these things because the reality is they were not perfect and they were wrestling with these things. That's why Paul pinned them on parchment and sent them to them because he wanted them to understand a very fundamental truth about the church, about, about being a Christian is that you, when before you were a Christian, you used to be identified by the things that you did and the things that you committed. You were a thief, you were this, you were that, you were a liar, you were a cheater. But now, he says, you're no longer that. You used to be that, but there were still people that used to be that that are still wrestling with those same things in their life. And you ask yourself, what is the difference? What's the difference of a person that doesn't know Christ? And what is a person that does know Christ if they're both wrestling with the same thing? Look what Paul says. He said, you were washed. Washed. Cleansed. Don't you love that? Cleansed. I was watching a Razorback game last night for a little while. It was really disappointing. Uh, but, but this lady had a t-shirt on that said, pigs smell good. Because the Razorbacks are pigs. So, all right, you get it, right? So, so she had pigs smell good. And, and the reality is he said, basically she was saying, they're washed. You're washed. Paul, Paul said, you used to be these things, but now you are washed. What are we washed by? The blood of Christ. Christians have the blood of Christ applied to them. Why are we cleansed? Because the blood of Christ can cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Most unrighteousness. What does the scripture say? All unrighteousness. That, that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why Isaiah said, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. 
It's not something that we did. It's not something that we conjured up. It's not something that we fabricated. It's not something that we developed. It's not something that we earned. It's, it's through the grace of God. And the reason why we are washed, the reason why we are cleansed through the blood of Christ is because Christ's blood was sinless. There is a theology in our world today that Christ was not sinless. But I, I, would, I will stand here today because everything that we believe in is pinned to the fact that Christ had no sin. Because if Christ had sin, then when you ask him to forgive you, he can only forgive you of the things that he did not commit. And if Christ had sin, you're accountable for his sin because he cannot remit all sin. But Christ was sinless. He was perfect. He was a lamb without blemish. And he came and he died for our sins. And when we come to him and we confess, he washes us whiter than snow. Don't you love that? In, in the book of Exodus, I, I, I love the symbolism in the Old Testament. The Bible says that when, Egypt, when the children of Israel were going to leave Egypt and, and Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. Kind of remember when the world didn't want to let you go? And the one last thing that, that kept uh, them in, it was the blood over the doorpost. The last one. And here's the amazing thing about that. Moses heard from the Lord and he said, you need to get a lamb and you need to put blood over your doorpost and you need to go in. Anybody, whether you're Jewish or Egyptian, doesn't matter. If you have blood over your doorpost, the death angel will, over, will pass over you. But any house that doesn't have the blood, there's going to be a death of the firstborn. That's one time it's really good to be number two. And here's the amazing thing. Anybody, anybody, it didn't matter what they were, Jews, Gentiles, if they would just do what was asked and have the blood applied, it wasn't based upon their goodness. It wasn't based upon uh, on their self-sufficiency or their strength or anything else. It was simply based on obedience and faith and trust that God said, if you put blood over your doorpost, then you will, then you will survive, that your house will survive. And it's the same thing that was a physical representation of the spiritual thing that, that when we have the blood of Christ on our life, it's not based upon how good we are. It's the blood of Christ that makes us pure, makes us washed, makes us cleansed, makes us holy. And the, and the firstborn, this flesh that fights you is going to be transformed and renewed by the very Spirit of God. The same flesh that fights you is going to have victory. Because you have blood, the blood of Christ in your life. It's not predicated upon your goodness. It's predicated upon his power and righteousness and glory. I like that. We're washed. What's the difference? 
We're washed. We're cleansed. Is it our cleansing? No. It's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ in our lives. He said, you, he goes on, he says, and you were sanctified. Now, we use this term sanctified in a couple of different ways depending on, on, on which, uh, which word is used. Sanctified in, in, in many terms is, is the process from being justified until you're glorified. You're justified when you receive Christ. You're going to be glorified when he comes back. But in that process is the sanctification. It's the setting apart. But what this simply means is you were, past tense, sanctified. You were set aside for God's purpose. Do you realize that when you gave your life to Christ, when you say, Lord, I need you, I need you to be my Lord and Savior, that you surrendered your life and we say oh we surrender what we want to do no 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 read the fine print you surrendered your life to Christ your life is not yours it belongs to Christ and you said yes and you signed and he can do with your life whatever he wants because your life is no longer yours. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. And you say, well, why do I have all these issues in my life? Because he's setting you apart. And he's, here's what, here's what Paul wrote to the same church in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Uh, he says, don't you know Evidently, they did not know. Don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it's the Spirit of God that dwells or lives in you? What's he saying? Simply this, that there is no longer a temple to go to that will house the Spirit of God. There is no longer a temple that you will go to to embrace the Spirit of God. Each and every one of us is the temple of God. Why? Because we have been cleansed. We have been washed. And now the presence of God is no longer just in a temple, but he's inside of us. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, when he says, don't you know you're the temple, he, what he is saying is, don't you know you're the holiest of holies? You're the place where the presence of God dwells. You and I, any Christian, uh, we are the very presence of God in this world. Why do you think the Lord is always trying to improve us and to get us closer to him and to get us to drop away those negative sins and, and things that, that bring us down and drag us down? Isn't it because he wants his glory to shine brighter and brighter in this dark world? problem is we wrestle with these things don't we sometimes we have things in our lives that we just struggle with and we we try to deal with them and we try to fight with them and it's not that we're being hypocritical it's just that 
we just give in to these stupid things in our lives that we hate. And every time we give in, we think, oh, why did I do that? And you go back to God and you repent and, and he forgives you and he moves on. And, and then, you, then you're, sometime later, you're confronted with it again. And you say, what is this vicious cycle in my life? It's the power of God helping you understand that you can overcome, that you can be a victor, that you can have deliverance, that you can be set free. There's not one thing that can bind you in this world that, that Christ cannot set you free. There is, there is no demon in hell. Even Satan himself cannot stop a child of God from worshiping the Lord and being as close to him as he wants to be. But you're going to wrestle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and spirits of wickedness in high places. Man, sometimes you just, you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to wrestle. And the reality is the presence of God in your life will speak to you. Before you were a Christian, you did those things and with, without any compulsion whatsoever, it's like, hey, let's just go do that. But now, when you try to do those things, the Spirit of God is in you saying, I don't think you should do that. It's God working in us. And you say, but I've failed him so many times. So have all of us. I've often said, and, and, and I really believe it to be true, that when I came to Christ, uh, he started getting rid of the habits and things in my life, and, and it was a process. And then, and then when those were out of my way, then he started working on the really difficult stuff like honesty and integrity and character. <sighs> Loving your neighbor. And sometimes you think, God, have you seen my neighbor? You see, it's the work of the Lord in us. It's his job to continue the work. It's our job to be submissive to the will of God and to lay these things down and to allow him to have a perfect work in us. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. I love that word justified. Justified. Simple word. Made right in the eyes of the law. You're guilty. You know you're guilty. And yet the judge says you're innocent. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad it's past tense? You were justified. Does that give us a license to do whatever we want? Oh, God forbid. That's what gives the church a bad name. 
of people thinking they can do what they want and, and ignoring that sanctification, that part that, that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is moving. I need you to go back to that, that screen. Uh, that that sp- the Spirit of the Lord is moving in our lives. We've been justified. We've been made right. We've been washed. We've been set apart. We've been sanctified. We have the presence of God living in us. And we have been declared righteous. Right. As if we have never done anything wrong. Mary Poppins. Practically perfect in every way. That's us. We're actually better than Mary Poppins because he has justified us. We, and because we've been justified, because we've been declared righteous, because we've declared it as being pure and innocent, and it's because of Christ's purity and Christ's innocence, because he took the penalty of sin for us and he overcame uh, death for us, and because we are declared pure and justified, when we die, death will not hold us. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us against the church because it didn't prevail against him and it's not because we are just it's because he is just and because he was justified we are justified and because he rose from the grave we shall rise from the grave Christ justified us we have been washed we have been sanctified and we have been justified in the name or in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what he said to the disciples right before he left? I know, we, we call it the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, but there's something that, that, that precedes that. A line that gives power to what he said. He said, all authority has been given to me. All all is an inclusive word, don't you think? That means everything, all of it. We have been washed, sanctified, justified by the authority of Christ. And, I love this, the Spirit of our God. I want to speak to you just for a minute on that last the Spirit of our God. If you are a Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you. Do you know why people that don't know Christ think some Christians are hypocrites? I'm going to tell you, this is a great secret, all right? They're not following the Spirit of God. I'm going to tell you without reservation every single time in my life that I have failed the Lord and you say well, you failed the Lord yeah I just don't talk about it you say well what'd you do well probably the same things you guys have done told a little, little white lie did whatever you did felt like the Lord wanted you to do something and you didn't want to do it. So you just did something else. All of us have done that, have we not? Every single time in my life that I have not lived up to what the Lord wants me to do, it's because I was following my own spirit 
and not the Spirit of the Lord. Every single time. The Bible tells us that the Spirit will lead us and guide us into all, there's that word again, all truth. And it's the truth that shall set you free. You see, it's important to, to, as Christians in our life, if we really want to be the body of Christ, if we want to be the people that, that Christ has made us, because we are no longer those people we used to be before we knew Christ. Before we knew Christ, we were liars and cheaters and, and, and adulterers and, and all of those things that, that Paul wrote and a thousand more things. That's who we were. That's how we were identified. That's how God looked at us. But now we're washed and sanctified and justified and he no longer looks at us that way and if we don't want to act that way we must follow the spirit of the Lord in our life and you say how do you follow the spirit of the Lord I'm so glad you asked it comes this just by one thing loving him loving him I, I am fully persuaded that I have seen families messed up and everything else and, and, and unfaithfulness and, and a variety of different things and every single time it's because somebody forgot how much they loved that other person and they allowed their, their own selfish desires to interfere with the love and devotion that they had. I believe that same thing is true with Christians. Every time we've stumbled and dropped the ball, every time we thought, I think we'll chart our own course and do our own thing, it's because we have failed to really love the Lord. When we love Him, you'll want to please him. And loving him is, is a constant work in progress. It's like any other relationship. If you go home and your spouse is not speaking to you, and you go five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and then you notice that they're not speaking to you, you realize you've done something really stupid. You may not know what it is, but you've done something because they're not speaking to you. And if you allow that to go on without any communication, the relationship will fall apart. You see, relationships are built upon communicating, being able to talk, being able to work differences out because the reality is every relationship has differences. The relationship you have with Christ is no different than anything else with the exception is he's never wrong. So if there's a disagreement, it's you. Isn't that terrible? But sometimes we, we, we quit talking to the Lord. 
And, and when we quit talking to him, we don't realize how good he is to us and how kind he is and how loving he is. And we can allow the love of God to become covered up with our own thoughts and desires. And, and then, then is when we go and we do something stupid. And it's then we realize, oh, I miss the presence of God. And you go back to him, and he loves you, and he forgives you, and he hugs you, and he blesses you, and you find the intimacy in your relationship with him again. What kind of people is the church built of? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. The church is built on people that have been washed that are sanctified, that have been justified, that are set apart for the glory of the Lord. And for us to fulfill that, we have to accept what Christ has done for us and follow his leadings through the Spirit of God in our lives. Would you stand with me? two points 15 minutes each point you'll be good <laughs> number one if you find yourself in a situation right now where you're you've just done something stupid charting your own course quit beating yourself over the head the devil likes to make mountains out of molehills right You've been justified. John says if any person sins, he's talking about Christians. If you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Go to him. What does that do? It puts you back on that right relationship with the Lord. It gets you in that clear understanding with him. So if you're walking through something right now, I, do, I would just say take it to the Lord right now and say, Lord, here I am. And I'm wrestling with this. And allow the amazing work of grace to transform your life. If you're here today and you're saying, man, my, my love for God's kind of waning. I don't know what to do. Fall in love with him. There's always something that's taking that spot. Put him where he needs to belong. Don't put him in a relationship that's in your mind. A lot of times, many of us have been trained and taught in ways that are contradictory to the Word of God. Things about God that are really not in the Word, but they're just man's opinion on what God is like. I would encourage you to dig deep into the, to the Word of God. Dig deep into a relationship with Him. Not just the Word, but the God of the Word. And allow your love for Him to just explode in your life. And you will find that, that the things that you're struggling with will just dissipate and fall away. Because you have a passion and a love for God. I would encourage you today, follow after him, seek him with all your heart, and see 
what being a Christian really is like. If you don't know the Lord, then you don't know the joy. You don't know the joy of being forgiven. Remember when you were a kid and you thought you were going to get a spanking because you did something really bad and instead they hugged you? I don't remember that either. I do remember being disciplined and then being loved. And it's that, with a little child, it's that, that space with your parents that you realize all is right in the world because they love you and you love them and it's not based upon your goodness, it's just to your parents. And our Heavenly Father loves us. Loves us and desires us to walk in relationship with him. Why? Because he wants to talk to you. He wants to know how your day was. He wants you to communicate with him and he communicate with you. Can you imagine the creator of all wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with you? There is a great blessing in knowing your sins are forgiven. If you don't know the Lord, I would encourage you to say, Lord, here I am. I believe in you. I trust in you. I need you to be my Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me?